What a great day to praise God. Amen. It is so good to see all of you here. We've got a lot of folks that are visiting with us. We're so glad that you're here. We want you to know you're our honored guest. We like it. We love it whenever you come and uh, join us. And we want you to continue to come back and be with us. We'll have Bible class after our service. Hang around. Let us get to know you. I've got one special announcement along those lines. And this is actually for our guests and for our members. Uh, you've seen some of these out in the foyer. If you're one of our members, we want you to know about it as well. These, are, these have some special gifts inside of it for our visitors. So if you're visiting today and you haven't gotten one of these, we have failed you. We apologize. We will do better. They're out here on the Welcome Center. But our greeters every day, as, as folks are coming in, we're looking for people that we can give this to them. We've got some special things in there. It also can allow us to get some information from you as well. Uh, so members, if you're in here and you see somebody or you bring a visitor. Make sure to just grab one of these. We've got folks that are baking some, some cookies, and I know sometimes there's bread in there. There's different things each week, but a lot of work's going into this because if you're visiting with us, we want you to know we are glad uh, that you are here. Uh, so want to make sure you get one of those, and for our members, we want to make you aware of it as well so you can help us out as we're handing those out. Last night, if you missed last night, you really missed something. We had a lot of fun with our fall family day. I want to say thank you. It was sort of different for me to just, I just showed up and then I just left. I didn't do anything with it. I haven't done that in a long, long time. A lot of work goes into that meal. A lot of folks that grilled, everybody that made food brought that, the trunk or treats and all the kids that came. It was just a wonderful time, and I'm so thankful for everybody uh, that worked so hard to make that happen. I also want to mention uh, we are glad and thankful to God, and may he be glorified for what Kyle was able to do this week with the debate that he had at Faulkner University. Uh, we put a lot of prayer into that, and I think God used Kyle in a great way as he defended, uh, defended our God. And we just want that to continue to be blessed, and it was just a great opportunity. We're in Matthew chapter 19 this morning. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, that's where we'll be. The reading this morning was extended, but I wanted us to think about it. It comes back to a pretty important question I think most of us, I think all of us really can agree on when it comes to how important is the family to society? How important is family to the society? You see a lot of troubling things in the news, don't you? With the way people are acting, the problems that people are facing. You see within our own communities and our own inner cities, you see crime that can be rampant. You see the problem with so many people that are incarcerated. You see so many problems when it comes to finances. You see problems with education. You see problems with all these different things. And I would suggest to you, and I think most of us would come to an agreement, that so many of those problems go back to the family, don't they? The problem is that there's a breakdown of the family, and in America, the family has been under attack for quite some time, and as the family breaks apart, I believe so does society. Studies show time and time again, whenever someone does not have the home that God designed for them, that leads all kinds of difficulties that can sneak into life. When you go and you look at our prisons today, so many of them, you can trace what has happened in their life back to some breakdown of the home. When you think about educating children, well, you can spend all the money in the world at a school trying to educate a child, but if those parents are not involved with that education, it's going to be a challenge, isn't it? So many things in our lives go back to what happens within the home. But in America, 1960s, uh, 1965, I looked up what percentage of Americans were married 
1965. The percentage was, of those 18 and older, 72% of all Americans were married. Today, what percentage of Americans are married? Less than 50%. 23% drop since 1965. From 1965 to about 1972 or so, the divorce rate in America doubled. After that, it came and it doubled again to where it finally came to the place that it peaked in the early 1980s, the divorce rate in America peaked. And from that point on, it has slowly reduced. But it hasn't reduced because people are more dedicated to marriage. It's reduced because people have just said, forget about it. Marriage, God's plan for society, they've just said, well, never mind, we'll just live together. Then you don't deal with a divorce. People have given up the idea of trying to follow after that. And because of that, today, if you are a married American, you are in the minority. Well, as you think about that and you think about what God was wanting for society, many of the breakdowns and challenges we face happen because we have failed to see and reflect what God wants when it comes to marriage. What does God want? God created marriage from the very beginning because he wanted stability. He wanted a man and a woman to be able to come together and there would be stability and it would provide you with emotional support. There would be financial support that would happen whenever you commit yourself to marriage. It's going to provide a social support that's going to help children to be raised and as parents got older so many times those children obey your parents and the Lord and honor your father and mother and what was happening that would take care of mankind late in their years as well because the family was going to be key in taking care of each other God wanted that we see that in a lot of studies. As you look at the benefits of marriage, you see that there's going to be health benefits, there's financial benefits, there's emotional benefits whenever we follow God's plan. And God put that there. But it's sad to see a society that has decided, you know what, the plan doesn't have to be followed. The plan doesn't have to be recognized. This holy estate of matrimony that God created, a covenant where a man and a woman come together, has been ignored. And because of that, for the last 60 years, we've seen a lot of things fall apart in our society. But that's not new. Uh, that's common because we all face the same temptations. Every society throughout the history of man, we've all had our struggles because it's very easy to pick self over God's plan. It's very easy to make our own decisions. And in Jesus' day, there was a number of opinions about family as well. There was a lot of opinions that you would see about marriage and, their, and divorce. In Matthew chapter 19, as we've been sort of walking through the book of Matthew, we come to Jesus being presented with a very difficult question. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, come to Jesus and it says that they want to test him, asking him about divorce. <clears throat> and as Jesus gives his answer, he surprises a lot of people. He not only surprises the Pharisees that he's speaking to, but he's also going to surprise his own disciples with what he says about his answer that he gives for divorce. And I believe that the reason that he's going to give this answer is because he knows the importance of family. He knows the importance of home. He knows the benefits that God wants for all of mankind to have. And Jesus' stance on marriage and divorce and remarriage is going to set a very high standard. A high standard for the people of his day, for his own disciples, and then today as we choose to follow him, he's going to set a high standard as well for us. Uh, and Jesus' teaching, although it was difficult for people to hear when he answers this question, 
And no doubt it's difficult today as we read it and hear his words. We still need to always understand that it is God's plan. And as parents, we need to teach Jesus' plan to our children. As spouses, we need to make sure that we commit to the seriousness of God's plan for the home when it comes to marriage. And as a church, we have to do the best we can to reflect what Jesus wants from us as we face this question of marriage and divorce. Well, let's look at it once again. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse 3. You see the question that Jesus has answered. The Pharisees come up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus has asked the question, and I want to give you a little bit of a context for the question of Jesus' day. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? That was the question. Now for the people there, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They spent a lot of time reading and studying the Old Testament scriptures. And there was a couple different trains of thought in their day on what was the idea when it came to divorce. Now for these individuals that are asking a question, they're looking back to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 you see on the screen which was the beginning of the guidelines that Moses was going to give after the Israelites were led out of Egypt God gave him this law of Moses and he says this when a man takes a wife and marries her and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house now you read some other guidelines about that state in the law of Moses in the next couple of verses as well. But these individuals in Jesus' day came down and they said, look, I want to define this problem by have found some indecency in her. And you can go back in extra biblical sources and you can see the different rabbis and the different teachings. But I'll just give you a quick summary of what that was. One said that some indecency in her was basically anything he didn't like. If she fixed a dish that he did not like. Now you have to understand in Jesus' day, women weren't going to have the opportunity to come and divorce their husbands. This was going to be where the men would have that, you know, they were the ones that had that authority in this society to make the divorce happen. And there were some people in Jesus' day that said, look, if a wife does something that he does not like. One other rabbi even said, well, if he just finds someone more pleasant than she is. Well, what was their idea? Their theory was, hey, you can get a divorce for any reason. As long as you give her a piece of paper, she'll know that she can go on and say that I was innocent of whatever and you would move on. Well, one group of people, most likely within the crowd of Jesus as he's asked the question, is thinking, we're hoping he's going to say, look, it's whatever you want it to be and you can get a divorce. There's another group of people in the audience. They came and they looked at this and they said, uh, this indecency in her from Deuteronomy chapter 24, and they would go on into Malachi chapter 2 and make their different arguments there where it talks about how God makes two people one and he, he hates divorce and he wants them to be together. And they said, no, the only indecency, what that word was, was if somebody was sexually unfaithful to their spouse. There was some unchastity that was there. 
there was sexual immorality involved, and that would allow someone to give a certificate of divorce. So that was kind of the setting of the day, and they come up to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, can a man divorce a woman for any reason? And now Jesus has this tough question to answer with all of the implications that we can all feel in any audience, whether it's in Jesus' day or today as well. Well, Jesus, what school of thought are you in? And that's a pretty tough question. Well, looking again back at Matthew chapter 19, we see Jesus' answer. <clears throat> Jesus comes and he says their confusion comes from a failure to read God's plan. And I think he's probably saying this tongue-in-cheek. You see what he says at the beginning, have you not read? Okay, when you're talking to a Pharisee in Jesus' day, the problem was not that they had not read. These individuals read the law. They studied the law. They wore clothes that showed how many verses of the law they were memorizing. They carried it around. They knew what the law said. But Jesus says, hey, have you, have, have you not read the law? And what's Jesus going to do? He's changing their perspective of how important marriage is because he says, you've been looking at Deuteronomy chapter 24 looking for a way out. I tell you what you should have been looking at is all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis when God created Adam and Eve. See, these individuals prided themselves on their knowledge of God's world, word, but they fell victim to the exact same thing that ensnares us. They passed over God's desires and they had looked for excuses to avoid God's plan in order to do the things that they wanted to do. Jesus points to the fact what? God made them male and female. And I think that's a very important fact. If you were going to ask Jesus about the home, he says, look, he made them male and female. And the only reason that we're here today is because God made two binary genders, two individuals, and he's going to make them male and female together for what reason? To fill the earth, to be fruitful and to multiply. And that's how the next generations were going to come. And he made it very clear. And, and our, our existence was dependent upon an understanding of those things. With these de without those designated differences between male and female, we wouldn't be here. Okay, well, in what plan, under what guidelines of what God has done should this take place? Well, Jesus reminds them back to Genesis chapter 2 when God said, it is God's plan for a man to leave his father and mother and be joined or hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What was God's plan? He says it was what the plan was at the very beginning. There were two people on this planet there were two people there he made them male he then made female and Adam and Eve are together and he wanted them to be joined together they were to be melded together it was like a weld that was going to come together those two individuals would become one after they left their father and mother that was the game plan for marriage and God's plan was for them to be together but that's at odds with this world our culture has tried to redefine God's plan for marriage They've tried to say that it can be same-sex couples and that can be marriage. They've tried to define what marriage would be. Our culture has a lot of people who are ignoring the idea of marriage altogether. We're just going to live together. We're not going to make any commitment. We'll just be in a social relationship with somebody else. Others have entered into marriage very lightly saying, well, I'll be with you as long as we're both happy, as long as it works out. And they enter into that saying, well, you know, if we get a few good years out of this, then that will be okay. Because marriage is under attack. They say that you can just enter and exit marriage bonds lightly and really there's no reason to stay together if you're not happy. 
But God's plan for marriage is for one man and one woman to remain pure. To remain sexually pure until the day that they come together. And the day that they come together, we see in Malachi chapter 2 that God will make them one. They're going to make a covenant. It's not just about what happens. It's not what a preacher says. It's not what a judge says. It's not what the government identifies. But marriage is a God-created covenant agreement that I say before God and everybody else that I will commit myself to you for life. And in that plan, stability occurs. Within that plan, children will have the things that they need. Within that plan, there's going to be a commitment to it. And it's not easy, but God's plan is for us to commit to those things. But our culture, of course, is against it in so many different ways. Our culture says it's fine to be sexually active outside of marriage. When you start looking at what we see today in the world, what are our message that our children are getting? What's the message that we get every day? Name a country song that's going to endorse that plan. What television show or sitcom can you name for me? And y'all can get me afterwards and tell me it says this is what the implication is. It is assumed that people are staying pure until the day they're married. And once they're married, they're going to stay together. How many times have you seen it? I made the horrendous mistake of looking at, I haven't looked at years, the Billboard Top 100. Look at the top 10 songs in America today. Actually, don't. But I sat there and wasted my time looking at the lyrics of what is being pumped into our country all the time. Try to find a song, an artist, an entertainer that is saying God's plan is better than you doing what you want to do. Now you can hear all kinds of songs that talk about the heartbreak that come when you don't. Oh man, that sells. We've got somebody that's, you know, half a, you know, half a billion dollars on tour because the songs are about what happens when we jump all into relationships and then they blow up on us. And then we're going to yell back and forth. If you want to see serious drama in high school, in college, what happens? It's about people that are ignoring that plan. And you wonder how crazy this world gets. It happens because in so many ways we do it our own way, don't we? And I think so many of us, whether it's this or other things in life, we see that, wow, if I had just followed a better plan well Jesus is being asked about these things but he knows what happens how homes are in disarray whenever people ignore this plan poverty increases stress grows children suffer outside of this plan isolation grows communities fracture anxiety reigns whenever we ignore God's plan but you know what the devil keeps whispering don't teach it don't say it Jesus, don't give an answer to this. Just tell people life's tough and just move on. But Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because he knows that God's plan is the best plan. He knows that our young people need to know this is what I'm going to commit myself to when it comes to marriage. He knows that as we struggle within our marriages and we have the difficulties of getting along with other people that we need to say, okay, look, I'm going to commit back to this because God is going to bless me for it. As a congregation, they know that this community needs to see people who have decided to commit themselves to something else. So what does Jesus do? He answers a tough question and he puts it out there with a challenge. And he puts it out there because it is so very important. So in a lot of opposition, Jesus, how do you answer that question? And Jesus basically reestablishes what he had seen in the beginning. What God has joined together, don't let man separate. 
Now, that was not the answer to the question they were expecting. They were looking at those two issues like, okay, what's the indecency? Jesus comes up and says, hey, have you read what was in the beginning? Don't go to the excuse where you're going to break the commitment you made. Go to the beginning where God said, man and woman come together. And what God puts together, the only thing he's going to add to the verse is he says, what God puts together, don't let man separate. And you can imagine the crowd. Okay. I don't think that's what they were looking for. That wasn't what they were, what they were expecting. What is Jesus telling them? It's not about you and the person you love. It's about God's plan in putting two people together. And this is a holy estate, a God-designed relationship where he puts them together. And it doesn't mean that it's easy, but it does mean that this direct command that is expected of all those who want to follow the Lord and be his disciples. Jesus, what's the answer to, is it lawful to divorce for any cause? Do not divorce. Okay, well, you see their surprise as we read on. Look again, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 7. They reply and say, look, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? They knew the law, Deuteronomy 24. Why did Jesus say something about the certificate of divorce? And they're trying to get some clarification. Jesus says to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. He says, look, what was happening was all these people were coming out of Egypt. They had been slaves for 400 years. They're going into the wilderness. They're going to go into the promised land. And as Moses is looking at all this situation and people that did not know God, didn't have a law from him, he says, the hearts were so hard that in order to most likely protect women, to give a defense of whether or not they were guilty or not, and to make sure that this was going to slow down, you're going to have to get a certificate. You're going to have to go in front of somebody else because ultimately God would want you to be together. But because your hearts were so hard, he permitted it. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus, what are you saying about marriage and divorce? Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality or sexual unfaithfulness and marries another commits adultery. And if somebody divorces his wife for a reason other than that and marries someone else and they didn't have any right to be divorced, they commit adultery by doing so. It's very similar to what we saw as we walked through Matthew chapter 5 earlier this year. Matthew chapter 5 verse 32, there on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So Jesus, you've been presented with a very tough question, but he has answered it clearly. If you divorce for a reason other than your spouse cheating on you and you marry another, you're committing adultery and forming that new relationship. It also adds if you marry someone who's divorced outside of that exception, then you commit adultery. Jesus' teaching is not real hard to understand. It's very difficult to put into our lives and say that is what I'm called to do. Jesus comes and he speaks it very clearly uh, but it was hard to hear in Jesus' day as well and I would say that because we can see that in the response that is given uh, not from the Pharisees but from his own disciples the Pharisees have come and asked the question Jesus says don't get divorced they sort of ask for clarification 
He says, look, it was because your hearts were hard. You need to stay together. And they're all kind of quiet. But his own disciples that are there with him that are saying, I want to follow Jesus. I am with you, Jesus. They come up and say, Jesus, I need some clarification on this. Because this sounds very, very difficult. And look what they say, Matthew chapter 19, verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. They're like, Jesus, that sounds, if that, if that sounds like what I think it sounds like, they'd even say, well, look, that's such a difficult situation, maybe better not to marry. They ask this question, I believe this is a time that Jesus can come and clarify it and say, okay, look, actually, y'all misread it. You misread what I said. Uh, I didn't really mean it like this. This were just some general guidelines, and it doesn't really matter. Or once I die on the cross, this really won't apply to you anymore. Don't worry about it. It's just for a little bit longer. But he doesn't do any of those things. As they come and say, look, what, you know, if this, is it better not even to marry? Jesus' answer comes back to them, and he just says, look, it is what God expects. Verse 11. He said to them, not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. There are eunuchs who've been so from birth. There are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who've made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who's able to receive it, receive it. A eunuch was just going to be someone who is not going to be able to be in a marital relationship. He says, you know what happens sometimes by means of birth and because of difficulty, someone could be a eunuch because they were born. In those societies, sometimes men would make someone a eunuch because they didn't want them to ever be married and they may serve within their courts. And sometimes people are not going to be in a married relationship because of what somebody else has done to them. And Jesus says, and there's another person that may not be in a marriage relationship. Someone who says, you know what, because of the kingdom of heaven, because of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, I'm going to make a decision to choose him and his teaching above my desire to be married. Well, some people are going to listen to Jesus' teaching, and they're going to make a determination to not be involved in a marital relationship for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus' answer to this tough question by raising the standard of society, and I dare say every society that's ever existed, back to God's original plan. What does he say? If you're married, do everything you can to keep that covenant relationship that you've entered into, into with your spouse and with your God. If you divorce them and then remarry, you're going to be committing adultery. And the only exception to that command is if a partner is sexually unfaithful. What's he saying? There's sometimes some bonds that have been broken to such depth, there can be such hurt, that he says, even in that situation, God says, okay, that person has broken that bond and you're free to remarry after that. Obviously, it's a question that we could talk about a lot more. Some of you may want to study with it more as well. I'm totally open to that. As we look at it, we're just kind of looking at what he says in Matthew chapter 19. But as we close this morning, what are some things that we can do after looking at Jesus' answer to a very tough question? Number one. I say that we lovingly teach exactly what Jesus taught. What I talked to you this morning is not covered in many churches today. There's a lot of places where people will come and study the Bible, but they're not going to stand up and study through Matthew chapter 19. At Southgate, we stand on God's word. We don't go to the things that are comfortable. We go to the things that he has said, and we'll always do that. And how do we do it? We do it in love. 
speaking the truth in love. Why? Because it's extremely important. It's extremely important for our children. When you date somebody, when you pick the person that you're going to marry, it's an important thing because of what God teaches. It's important for us to protect our purity. It's important to prepare ourselves for successful marriages. It's important as we strive as a congregation to support each other as we walk through the highs and lows of marriage and difficulty to take care of each other. As folks have been affected by this, it's our job to lovingly care for other people. What do we want to do? We want to teach what Jesus teaches so we can protect our lives from the chaos that comes whenever we take our culture's approach to relationships. We have to fight against the current today. Number two, what can we do? Those of us that are in a marriage relationship are looking to enter one. Let's wholeheartedly commit to model our marriages after Jesus' teaching. Uh, if anybody's got the perfect marriage in here, I need to talk to you afterwards. Marriage is difficult. None of us have the perfect marriage. It comes with highs and lows and all the difficulties that we can face. But what are we all challenged to do by Jesus' teaching? Strive to make it better. Love your spouse more. Make changes. Ask for forgiveness. Forgive. Work through difficulties. Work through hardships and say, I'm going to be committed. Why? Because this is what God wants. And I know that ultimately he will help us. If we will both commit to him, he's going to bless us in our lives. We want to keep our commitment to our marriage. And the only exception that would allow us out in any way is the one that Jesus has given. Number three, what can we do? Let's lovingly care for those who are faced with the difficulty of coming to terms with this teaching. Jesus' teaching is difficult and it makes people have to make difficult decisions. And we need to make sure that we love, encourage, and help those that are affected by the situation. We know how important marriage is because as we look back in our lives, many of our greatest blessings and many of our deepest hurts are connected to family, aren't they? Some of us have been blessed with the situation where you've seen this plan work out in front of us and we see that blessing. Some of us have been hurt and can go back to the day that I found out that that marriage came to an end and it was one of the most difficult days of my life. As families break, hearts break. As people face challenges and difficulties and it's whether it's our parents or our children and we see all of the struggles and see the world around us falling apart in so many ways because they failed to see God's plan. Let's be a group of people that lovingly care for those who are facing this situation. Our goal is to always speak the truth in love. We never want to compromise the truth of God's word, but we also must never fail to be caring, uh, empathetic, and loving as we communicate God's truth to other people. Our only goal as God's people is to humbly submit to his will and to let his plan be reflected in our lives to our to the best of our ability and I just pray that God may bless our study of his word to that end this morning as we come together we've seen that Jesus comes and he's asked tough questions but he gives the most important answers and the answer is what does God want from us what does God want he wants to bless us in this life but even more than that he wants to bless us throughout all eternity it's amazing that Jesus sat there on the cross and he looked at those as we thought about this morning and he looked out and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He was asking for forgiveness on those that were so confused in so many different ways. Why? Because our God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and he is reaching out 
to us, wanting us to come so that he can bring the healing that his plan brings. But what do we have to do? We have to decide to go with it his way and not our own. Jesus, I will repent of sin in my life. I will repent and change whatever I'm doing wrong. I want to try to do the best I can to make it right. Jesus, I will tell other people. I will confess your name before other people because I believe in who you are and I know that I can make that confession in such a way that you're going to confess me before your Father who's in heaven. Jesus, you know what I want to do? I want to die to this broken world and I want to be buried with you in the waters of baptism and have my sins washed away. Why? Because I believe that you will bless me now and throughout all eternity. That's what we want to help you to do. As we walk this road, as we struggle through the difficulties of it, we want to be there for you and we want to help you. If we can help you in any way this morning, we invite you to come as we stand, as we sing. Oh.